Hi everyone, my name is Alex and I'm the student minister here at Andover Baptist Church and it's a real privilege to be speaking to you all this morning and concluding this awesome series we've been looking at all about how we can take care of our planet. If you've missed any of these series, there's only been three parts to it, you can go back onto our YouTube channel and find the previous talks. And these explore big questions like, is there a creator of this world? And what is our responsibility as human beings living on planet Earth? And Chris Porter, our senior minister who you've seen on the green screen this morning, has been looking at these questions over the past couple of weeks. And he's explored ideas about how it's entirely reasonable to think that there is a creator and also how we, as part of God's creation, have a role to play in looking after it. And these are actually concepts that are at the heart of the Christian faith. So today I'm going to be concluding the series by looking at the idea of the legacy that we can leave on this earth. I wonder if you have ever thought about this idea before, about the idea of leaving a legacy. We might think about what kind of legacy we want to leave with our family, or maybe in our field of work, for example. But do we think about the kind of legacy we might want to leave on the earth itself? Recently, uh, my mum and my auntie and I went on a bit of a cultural day out to visit some public gardens near where my mum lives in West Sussex. It was a place called Denman's Gardens, which I don't think is particularly well known, but it does have a really good reputation. So we thought we would go and check it out. To be honest, we didn't have any particular expectations. We just thought it would be a nice little trip. But when we got there, we were totally blown away by the place. It was a real hidden gem. As we were walking around, there were so many varieties of plants and trees. There were some really crazy looking plants with exotic flowers. There's some pictures up here now. There were things I'd never seen before in my life. And I was amazed that these things could be grown in the UK climate. And I was also very grateful that my auntie who is with us was quite an expert in some of, uh, the, in horticulture really, in some plants and trees and was able to tell us But even there were things there that perhaps she hadn't seen before too. It really was breathtaking. You know, as we were walking around, it was so clear to us that that thought and care had gone into designing, creating and maintaining these gardens. And while we were there, we wanted to find a little bit more out about the place. So we got talking to someone who works there and they explained a bit of the history to us. She told us how over the past 35 years or so, it had been owned by a man called John Brooks, who actually lived there as well. He's a world-renowned landscape designer, one of the greats from the last century. It's said of him actually that he's the creator of the modern garden. He's designed thousands of gardens all over the world and most famously in the UK he's designed gardens at Westminster Abbey and other sites around London. His career has spanned over 50 years and earned him various awards including an MBE. And he's also set up schools around the world which uh, teach and pass on his skills in landscape design. Sadly, however, John passed away in 2018 at the age of 84. But you wouldn't know that from walking around these gardens. You might still think that he was living there. And that's because John, who had designed these beautiful gardens, actually left instructions for how they should be looked after. And he also made plans for them that would continue for years to come. He left a very visible legacy. And that was so evident as we walked around. 
What's also amazing is that, is that these gardens gave us a real kind of sense of John's character, who he was and how he had designed the place. Now, I personally don't know too much about gardening or landscape design, but I'm sure that people in the know would say that there are so many clues in these gardens that tell you about the designer. And as I was walking around these gardens, something else struck me. I remember going into this conservatory where there were some really weird and wonderful exotic types of plants with some bright, beautifully bright coloured flowers, some really bizarre shapes and features. It was, it was incredible. And I remember just standing there trying to take it all in. And as I did this, a really clear thought came to mind. Actually, it was a question and it was this. What kind of designer would create such incredible things? For me, as a Christian and someone who believes in God, this really made me think about who God is, about his character. And I had a real awareness in that moment that I was learning about God through nature, through his creation in a really profound way. And just as those gardens had reflected something about their human designer in the way they had been constructed, it was now the plants themselves that were kind of speaking to me about their divine designer. And I wonder if you can remember the last time you were really moved by nature or something in the natural world. Perhaps it was a stunning view or a breathtaking sunset. Maybe it was an animal or a bird or some plants or trees. Maybe you're not even someone who's that interested in nature, but you've experienced the sheer power and might of it in a storm or when there's heavy rain, for example. I wonder what questions this has raised for you. If you aren't someone who believes in God, I wonder, did it make you think about the idea of a creator? And if you are someone who believes in a creator God, I wonder what this experience revealed to you about him. I think that whether we are aware of it or not, nature can and does speak powerfully to us. We can often look to nature for answers, can't we? This is an idea that goes back throughout human history. Mankind has often tried to make sense of life on earth by observing the natural world and learning from it. You know, we've seen evidence of this in ancient civilizations and in different religious systems, as well as in the very vast fields of science and medicine. And I want to look now at some wisdom that we find uh, in a story of a man who lived a long, long time ago. It's a man called Job, and we get a short account, a kind of story of his life in the Old Testament part of the Bible. Some scholars actually think that Job lived in the ancient Near East around 4,000 years ago, which would be in the era of the ancient Egyptians. And for those of you who know Old Testament stories, this could have been around the time of Abraham. So it is potentially one of the oldest stories in the Bible. Job is a man who goes through some real hardships in life. He loses his family, his workforce, his livelihood. And if that's not enough, he also suffers through a variety of physical illnesses. Word spreads about Job's situation and some of his friends come to visit him to try to console him. Now Job is actually a man who believes in God and he remains faithful to God even through all of his suffering, which is actually what the story is all about. However, Job's friends who've come to try and help him out are quite cynical and they really question why he still has faith in a God who would let such bad things happen to him. 
In response to all their questioning, Job says some really remarkable and profound things. And at one point in this story, he turns to the natural world as evidence for the God that he has faith in. And we're now going to look at some of the words that Job says. If you want to follow along, on our website you'll find a blog where there's a link to the Bible verse. But you might have a Bible with you or the YouVersion app if you want to follow along. Alternatively, it's going to be up on the screen in just a moment. So let's have a look at what Job says. But ask the animals and they will teach you. Or the birds in the sky and they will tell you. Or speak to the earth and it will teach you. Or let the fish in the sea inform you. Which of all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. I think these are just incredible words. Here, Job is looking beyond his own circumstances. He's not drawing a conclusion about God from the suffering he's endured in his life. Instead, he looks to God's creation to remind him of who God is. And it tells him, doesn't it, that everything is in God's hand. In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. Job sees God's hand at work in nature and he learns from it. And as a result, he's able to trust God with his own life. You know, in so many ways, I think Job's faith is just amazing because this is a man living potentially thousands of years ago in ancient times, yet he knows so much about God. And I really encourage you to read this story that we can find in the Old Testament part of the Bible because it's amazing. And I think actually that Job's faith is based on the fact that he sees how God has revealed himself through his creation. This is actually an idea that's picked up by one of the earliest leaders of the Christian faith, a man called Paul, who lived around and after the time of Jesus, so around 2,000 years ago. In a letter he wrote to Christians living in Rome, a letter that we find in the New Testament part of the Bible, he says this, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. I, I love this. You know, Paul is pretty direct there, isn't he? But I think actually he's really capturing this whole idea of how we can know God through his creation. Just as Job did some thousands of years ago. And it's actually quite remarkable that Paul includes this in his writing because Paul actually spent his life in ministry traveling around teaching people about Jesus. And that is because in Jesus we learn so much about who God is because Jesus is God himself. He's the son of God, but he is God in human form. And he came to earth not only to put things right for humanity, but to reveal to us who God really is. You know, and although this is the focus of Paul's ministry and work, he doesn't forget that the natural world is important. After all, Jesus only lived on earth around 2,000 years ago. So what about people who lived before the time of Jesus? How did they get to know God? And actually, this is an incredible story that we can read throughout the whole of the Old Testament part of the Bible. And it's exactly what Paul is getting at here. He's saying that humankind has always been able to know God through his creation. And I also love what Paul writes here, doesn't he? How we can learn about God's invisible qualities, his eternal love and divine power through everything that God has made. And if you think about it, there's quite a profound truth here. 
because in many ways through Jesus we get to encounter the more visible qualities of God because they're being expressed in human form and through the world and creation we get to learn about these invisible qualities of God and the two aren't separate because combined we get a much fuller picture of who God is. We are able to learn about God through his creation and we get to be in relationship with God through Jesus and there's a real harmony there. I don't know about you, but actually for me, sometimes if I'm having a bit of a bad day, the best thing that I can do is to get outside into nature, go for a walk. I often find as I get out and I look around me and observe all that there is, it really comforts me. It actually just really calms me. And I think that's because it reminds me that we have a God who is so much bigger than ourselves and our circumstances. A God who created this amazing universe And there's actually a number of studies now that prove that spending time in nature makes people happier and healthier. And we've seen a lot of this during the past um, year or so through the pandemic, haven't we? I think actually that these kind of studies are getting at the heart of this idea that nature speaks to us about those invisible qualities of God's eternal power and divine nature, perhaps whether we are aware of it or not. We can often feel closer to God through nature And I think that so many people are drawn to that type of experience because ultimately we were made to be in relationship with God. So what does all of this have to do with looking after our planet? Well, it's simply this. If the natural world is an important way that people can learn about God and get to know God, then we need to look after our world so that others might have the opportunity to encounter God through his creation. We need to ensure that we leave a legacy on this earth that speaks more about God's creation and less about man's destruction. You know, to be honest, sometimes when I see things going on in the world and I see the devastating impact that humanity is having on creation, I'm really worried that the legacy of this era will not be positive and that it might actually turn people away from knowing God. And although I do often feel overwhelmed, I really believe that there is hope. You know, I'm so encouraged when I see that people are responding to the cry from our planet and from our young people and they feel moved to take action. I've been so inspired by the response from our church community over these past few weeks as we've journeyed together, sharing our ideas for how we can look after this world. I'm so encouraged when I hear about projects that look to renew and restore our natural world. Things like planting trees and forests, cultivating wildlife, cleaning up our oceans and looking at ways how we can reduce waste and emissions and ensure that future generations can enjoy the beauty of creation. You know, on Thursday we had an online prayer gathering where we were praying into some of these issues. I was really struck by a quote that somebody used during this gathering and I actually called them up afterwards to find out who the quote was by. So thank you very much, Marion. And they told me that it was by a Christian minister and author called Reverend Rob Frost, who's actually uh, passed away now. But it says this, when Christians take the earth seriously, people take the gospel seriously. When Christians take the earth seriously, people take the gospel seriously, meaning they take the Christian faith seriously. You know, that really struck me. What a challenging statement. 
And it's also another great reminder of why we need to look after our world and leave a good legacy for future generations, because it's also a way of sharing our faith and telling people about God. I really do believe that our world is at a turning point. I believe that together we can turn the tide and we can leave a legacy that will bless future generations and allow them to learn about God through his amazing creation. So let's pray. Loving God, we just give you thanks for who you are. We thank you for the immense beauty and creativity that we see in the world around us. Father, we thank you that this reveals so much to us about who you are. And Lord, we're sorry when perhaps we get so busy and caught up in life with what we're doing that we forget to stop and look around at all that you have created and blessed us with. Father God, I just thank you for all that we've been doing here as a community these past few weeks. Thank you for the encouragement and inspiration that together we can bring change. Together we can leave a legacy that will last for generations to come and help more people to get to know you, Lord. So I just pl- I pray that you will bless and inspire each of us now and as we go on with our lives. Amen.